Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Well, everyone, we're back in Zephaniah. We're in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, verse 5 down to verse 12. Zephaniah is talking to the southern kingdom, and he's talking to his generation, and he's looking around, and it's not pretty. And a lot of this made me think of our generation. I look around, and, and it's not pretty. Um, and we're going to read these verses and just react to them with relationship to what, what we see today. Um, verse five, he's talking about those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heaven, those who bow down and then, and swear to the Lord yet swear by Milcom, which is the God of the Ammonites. So in other words, Look at their worship, you know. They they sort of look like they're worshiping. But then their day-to-day actions, they swear by a whole different God, a whole different system. They worship one way and act another way. Does that look familiar in today's society? People may go through the act of worship. Or whenever you see some big celebrity getting married, they're in a big wedding ceremony in a church, or some big person, popular person, powerful person, or celebrity or politician, they pass away and there's some big funeral in a church. But you look at the people in the church and you you just don't see their lives modeled after God's... after God's provisions and God's commandments in his own church, in his own house. People worship one way and act another way. Verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And then there's others that just, they don't seek, they don't ask, they don't knock. They're not trying to seek God. Luke says in chapter 11, 1 to 13, he's talking about how to pray. And, he's, and Jesus is saying, you got to ask, you got to seek, you got to knock. That's how you pray. That's how you follow me. Then you got parts of the generation who, who um, 
aren't even trying. They don't seek the Lord. They don't even inquire of Him. They're not even praying to Him or asking Him anything. They're they're not even... They're just... They don't even communicate. You see that today? You think all these people who are out protesting or violent, you think they're praying? Asking, seeking, knocking, trying to figure out what... Christ would want them to do? Of course not. They're not, you don't see, you may not know what's in their hearts, but you see the fruit of their actions. Verse 7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. What do we do in God's presence? We stop talking. We'd be silent, we'd be reverent before him. Because that's what he that's what his holiness commands. McGee said if we were if if it was true, if we were to get in a, within a billion miles of God, we would have to fall down on our knees because of his holiness. We can't be in his presence. But yet, is this generation even thinking about that? Truly, His holiness demands our reverence. Verse 8, And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials at, and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. Look at all the people who are putting on all kinds of of things committed to a completely different mindset. Look how it weaves in to your activities. Once you start believing a different way, you start acting a different way, and you start acting a different way, and you start looking a different way, and you start looking a different way, and you start committing. And then all of a sudden, you're looking just like a foreigner. Little changes add up. Little changes add up. Could be in your appearance, could be in your personality. Your patience. After a while, you're just not a patient person. Temper adds up. Unchecked. After a while, you're not even a patient person. You're, you're, a, you're a hothead. Little things add up. Verse 9, On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold, those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Look today, do we live in a violent generation? Yeah, everywhere you look around right now, it's the mob rule. And it looks like it's only going to get worse. And fraud. It's like we don't even trust what we hear out of our news media anymore. 
because of all the fraud in the news. Fraud in the science, fraud in the politics, fraud in the school educational system. <clears throat> fraud everywhere you look. They fill their master's house with violence and fraud. <clears throat> We're filling God's house with violence and fraud. How are we doing that? Because we are God's house. And if we're filling ourselves with violence and fraud, we're filling God's house with violence and fraud if we claim to be Christians. Christians have to be very careful to avoid violence and fraud. Avoid violence and fraud. Why? Because God will judge. He's not sitting back and just watching man do whatever he wants. And that's the point of Zephaniah. He's saying, look, God's not just sitting back. He's a living and active God, number one. Number two, he has to judge. Number three, look at yourself. Verse 10, and on that day declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traders are no more. All who weigh out the silver are cut off. The little economies that we place our faith in, gone. What do you place your faith in? Today's economy? The grocery store? The mall? Amazon? Is that what you place your faith in? Oh, I can go to the grocery store and get food. Suppose you couldn't. Wouldn't that just tear your life apart? Yeah. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Are we complacent? The Lord's really not going to punish us, but He's not doing much right now. He's really uninvolved. I can. We got to do what we got to do because we got to take care of business. God will never know. God doesn't care. Your complacency gets punished just like your violence and your fraud. Complacency is a sin too. Man, this book, this Zephaniah 1, just pegs this generation right on the head. And I'm in back when we were studying Amos chapter 6, verse 1, we were calling it like Amos was calling him out too in the northern kingdom. His buddy Zephaniah is calling him out in the southern kingdom, and we were doing our little study, we were calling it Generation Zero. You know, the generation that really has zero to its name, it hasn't done anything. The generation of the humanists or the modern-day atheists that really place their faith in, in zero beyond themselves. It's all about faith in what they can see, which is really not faith. It's really an opinion. It's really what you desire. Faith is has to be in something you 
can't see, but this generation places its faith in what they can see. Really doesn't take a lot, a whole lot of faith, quote unquote, to believe something you see. Generation zero of the modern day atheists, what do they place their faith in or their where do they put their their heart in is in their own self, their own pride, their own self-indulgent sins. That's what they place their faith in. They put their faith, their trust in man's wisdom over God's wisdom. Why? Because they can see it. Why? Because they want it. Of course they'll want to put their faith and trust and hope in things that their sinful nature wants because they can see it. They want it right. It's right there in front of them. They could put their faith in evolution. Why? Because it makes them feel like they're scientific, like they can be in control, like they can explain something. It's right there in front of their nose. They can't explain it. They weren't here when the world was created. And there's no way to prove the theory of evolution. Can't do it. But they put their faith in it. Why? Because they can see its ramifications. It's man-made philosophy. They don't want to accept God's truth. So Generation Zero, the modern-day atheists, the humanists, They have a false sense of security because it's all man-made. They have a false sense of worship because they're not worshiping anything beyond their what they really want to worship. Their hearts are hardened. It's what they put their faith in is zero beyond what they can see. So what does the faith or the roots below the soil, what does their faith produce? What are their actions they don't ask, they don't seek, and they don't knock. They don't inquire of him, as Zephaniah says. They don't ask, seek, and knock, as Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 11. They're not silent before God, as Zephaniah talks about in verse 7. These are loudmouth people. They've always got something to say, always an opinion. They're not silent. They're not reverent before God. They don't acknowledge His holiness. And because they're all full of their own selves, their own pride, they're violent. They're full of fraud. Just like Zephaniah talks about in verse 9. It's a loudmouth, violent, fraudful generation, and they're complacent. When they're not loudmouth, when they're not fraudulent, they're complacent. In other words, they just look around and don't care. That's the fruit of generation zero. It is zero. And they'll say, oh, I would change if you just give me a sign. Otherwise, pass me the chicken wings. Right? Luke says, chapter 11, 
Just as Jonah was a sign for the Nineveh, people of Nineveh, Christ. Christ is the sign for this generation. This generation is asking for a sign. They've been given a sign, Jesus Christ. That's the sign. Do you accept the sign? No. Why? Because their prideful nature doesn't want that sign. They want a different sign. They want something else. So what does this generation end up doing? Generation zero. They trade God's promise of eternal life in Christ, righteousness, holiness. They trade all that for man's worthlessness, man's own mortality. That's what they do. Because man's worthlessness is right in front of them. And it's what their sinful nature desires. And in the end, the only thing they get is zero. They get death. Because God will judge. That's what Zephaniah is saying. Powerful message for our generation today to hear what Zephaniah has to say. Generation zero. We're living in it. We're living the same thing. We're living in the same thing. Old Testament really rings true today, doesn't it? We're living in generation zero. So we'll stop here. Take up tomorrow as we continue this powerful study of Zephaniah. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. And for me to all of you, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Keep your hearts centered on Christ. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning at verse 4 all the way to verse 12. So in our study yesterday, we read that Zephaniah had given the prophecy that God was going to judge his people, and that's Jerusalem and Judah in particular. So they had come under the reign of some very evil kings, and that was Ammon and Manasseh. And Zephaniah had lived during the time and reign of Josiah, who was one of the last good kings in the southern kingdom. And um, a revival had happened during the time that Josiah reigned. It was short-lived. It wasn't a long revival. This was because it was outward. Um, so they were going through the rituals and going to the temple and it wasn't internal. It wasn't something that was internal. They were still very corrupt and immoral. So God had said that he would consume all things from the land. That was his judgment that he was bringing upon the Southern kingdom. So he was going to consume all things, starting from the fowls of the air to the fish of the sea and the creatures of the land. So here Zephaniah is speaking in particular of that land, the southern kingdom. But this kind of this judgment is also to be a worldwide judgment because we will see the you know, we will we will actually be introduced to 
the great day of the Lord in this particular book that we're studying. So the reason for the judgment upon the southern kingdom was because of idolatry. And um, Zephaniah has zeroed it down because of idolatry. Um, in the previous book, Habakkuk, um, he had listed down five woes that um, were pointed out by God, um, the sin that... Um, the sins that they had committed, um, and the, these were attributed to the five woes that God had uh, pointed out. But um, here, Zephaniah is just zeroing it down to idolatry. And um, in our study yesterday, we had mentioned that um, that there were three kinds of idolatry, and we had actually talked about two of them. So idolatry is, you know, it's where every great nation has gone off the tracks, where every great nation has just gone south and tanked and, you know, the nation just degradates. So, um, you know, where they have departed from the um, living and true God when it has been given up, um, you know, when they give up and they get into idolatry, when it has been given up and, you know, if it had the moral principles that's um, that's been based on religion. So they depart, they have departed from, um, the living and true God and have gone into idolatry and that has led into gross immorality. You know, you can see the breaking down of, you know, the values and the norms in a home. Um, and it goes, it now stems, it actually, this whole thing stems from, um, you know, the departing away from, the living and true God. So Dr. J.V. McGee had actually pointed out, you know, that, you know, everything, you know, the, the, the political, the political anarchy and the, um, moral awfulness, it all stems from, um, you know, the spiritual apostasy, because for any nation, you can tell the going down of a nation, the tanking of a nation, um, Three, there are three things that happen. First of all, there's um, there's a spiritual apostasy. That's what this way it starts from. You know, they turn away from the living and true God, and then there's you know because they turn away from that, they don't have any morals and all. Then there's now just um, moral awfulness. There's just no morals. It's just gross immorality in 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 um, in any nation. And then from there, that's where you have political um, anarchy. So it all stems from. Um, from spiritual apostasy. So here, um, verse 4, that's where our study starts from, and it reads, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous or the shimmerman, in other translations, mine is the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. So here, um, he mentions first the worship of Baal. So it was introduced in the northern kingdom by Jezebel because her father was the chief, was actually the high priest among the um, Sy, uh, the, among the Sidonians. So God is saying here that he will actually remove the worship of Baal. This had been introduced into the southern kingdom, the worship of Baal, largely by uh, Manasseh. And um, this, 
you know, this worship of Baal was very a very, very immoral form of worship. It was crude. Um, and, you know, along the worship of Baal, there was Ashtoreth, Ash, sorry, Ashtoreth. And Ashtoreth was a female god. And when a female principle is introduced in a deity, you have gross immorality. So there was a lot of uh, crudeness and gross immorality in the worship of Baal. And this came in during, you know, the period of Manasseh. That's when it was introduced. So when Josiah became king, and he was one of the last good kings of the southern kingdom, the first thing he did was to try and remove the worship of Baal. So it was, you know, the worship of Baal, it was a form of, you know, it was a crude way of worshipping. It was a form of um, nature worship, you know, um, and the idolatrous priests, that's, that these were the shimmer men, the, the black priests, because they were always clad in black, they were to be judged by uh, God. So... You know, like if we look at the satanic worshippers today, they clad themselves in black attire. It's nothing new. It's a lifelong tradition that they actually picked up from, you know, centuries ago during the worship of Baal. Verse 5 of uh, Zephaniah chapter 1 reads, Those who worship the host of heavens on the house tops. So here, um, you know, another form of idolatry is mentioned. Um, and this form became very uh, prevalent and it was more subtle. And since it was more subtle, it was very dangerous. Um, so the housetops that are mentioned here, back in the days, they were flat. But even today, um, it holds true, they are still flat. And, and it's the place where, you know, the family gathers, uh, where they used to sit and gather as a family. In the evening, and God gave a law about putting a railing around the roofs so no one would fall off. So this actually now became, you know, people started using this instead of for family gatherings. They started using this as a place of worship, and now, you know, it was moving into the homes, and it meant that every home was a little heathen temple where idolatry was actually practiced and it was now penetrating uh, the homes, you know, this idol worship and they worshipped idols rather than the creator. So they were worshipping the creature rather than the creator. So um, here as the statement reads, those who worship the hosts of heaven on the housetops. So the hosts of heaven here, that's, um, you know, they worship the sun, the moon, the stars and, um, you know, worshipping that which had been made. Um, and this was the second form of what they had ad adopted, the second form of idolatry. It wasn't crude and all, it was very subtle, but it was very dangerous. So, verse 6 goes on to read, Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. So, this one here that's mentioned um, is the worst kind. It's suffocated and it's very, very subtle. It's the most subtle. So the suggestion was actually made in verse 5 where it says, those who swear by um, Milcom. So here, um, sorry, let me just read verse 5. Complete reading as it says, those who worship the hosts of heaven 
on the housetop, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. So that was verse 5. This is where it was suggested. So Milcom here means Moloch, is Moloch rather. So the uh, Moloch was uh, the worship of the God of the Amorites. So they had, li- they even had living sacrifices that they gave to Moloch. They, they used to sacrifice young children to Moloch, but it was, you know, it was very, very, very subtle and sophisticated. And, you know, there was just like a thin flimsy line between like the true religion and all. So it was kind of like hard to tell. So such that, you know, at the same time, you know, they were worshiping Moloch, they were believing in Moloch. Um, they also professed to worship the living and true God, and they went to the temple. You know, they carried out just the rituals. And they said they knew the Lord and believed in God, but they also worshipped Moloch. And they were doing both, you know, worshipping Moloch and, you know, carrying out the rituals. And this is the subtle thing that um, is actually also taking place today in the church. So the church is built around the person of Jesus Christ and the church met together to worship and adore God and to know him and have fellowship with him. So, you know, this was um, the kind of subtle worship that was coming up in that day. So people were going through the ritual, going to the temple and going to worship. But, you know, they were all, but, you know, at the same time, they were worshiping Moloch, who is a god of the flesh and today we have people who have you know that churchianity in them and they are not christians they, are, they they don't have that christianity in them you know their life is not centered around the person of the lord jesus christ they just follow rituals they just get up and go they we have people who are like this these people they tend to deny the great facts of the christian faith and they practice things that are contrary to the word of god so, and this is what these people do. So you have people who, and that's how you can tell, like, is this person a child of God or not? Um, if that person actually um, denies certain great facts of the Christian faith, like, you know, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone just actually just doesn't accept that, then, you know, you begin to question them. So this nation, the Southern Kingdom, pretended that they were um, serving the living and true God, but they were giving themselves into this form of idolatry. And you have people doing that today. They give themselves into this form of funny idolatry, like, oh, hey, you know, I want my palms read, you know, read the tea bags, what does my future say? But this person professes to be a Christian. Um, you know, like, oh, let's go to a medium who's going to tell us what the dead are saying. Or, you know, they wear little trinkets as good like charms and things like that. You know, these are different little forms of idolatry that creep into our lives. Um, and we, we ought to be um, vigilant about it, you know, as, as, as Christians. You know, the, as, you know, the hip saying right now is what? We ought to be woke. So verse 7 of our study goes on to read, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is is at hand for the lord has prepared a sacrifice he has invited his guests so here this is what god is you know has to say to them so you know it's like he's like god is saying don't speak shush hush don't speak out you're in the presence of 
the living and true God who is holy. You know, even if we are billions of miles from him, we would still fall flat on our faces because he is holy. So today there is that lack of reverence for God. You know, God is holy. He's majestic. He's in a splendor. So, you know, it's, it's serious business to go to God. So Jesus Christ is not a buddy, buddy who we just go to and buddy. And, you know, we can, we, you know, we, we can be casual to him about it and then serious. No, he's not like that. When we speak to him, you know, we have to have that reverence. We have to be serious. It's serious business. So he is a holy God. He is the creator of this universe. And we are just creatures. So, you know, this verse is saying, be silent um, in, the, um, in the presence of the Lord. Why should we be silent? So here uh, it goes on to read, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So this is the first mention of the day of the Lord in this book. And it's mentioned about seven times in the book of Zephaniah. So the day of the Lord um, is presented here primarily as the time of judgment and if fitted in God's program it's the great tribulation period so here it's 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 primarily talking about the judgment the impending judgment um but if we fit it in God's program so we're talking about the great tribulation period today we are living in the time of Christ so we're living in the day of grace so the day of the Lord will begin when the church leaves the earth, then God will begin to move in judgment here on earth. So ahead of this day, there have been times, um, you know, that, um, you know, that have been um, like related, like, uh, yeah, compared to the day of the Lord. For example, um when Nebuchadnezzar came and finally destroyed Jerusalem and burnt it to the ground and destroyed the temple and left the land denuded and barren and consumed. So um, if you go to that land today, it's arid and dry. So that then they referred to as the day of the Lord. So we also have, um, you know, the media Persians who came in and, you know, conquered that land. Then we have Alexander the Great as well. So it's been enemy after enemy. And then we also have the Romans who came. Um, and as a result, um, there is, you know, there's very few nature and growth and vegetation growing in that area because everyone just propounded that area and, you know, made, denuded it and made it, um, you know, made it arid and, 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 you know, you have vegetation that just doesn't grow. So there's nothing growing there. You know, there's very few trees growing there. They've put up a true tree program, but very few trees are growing there that, um, you know, and it's kind of hard to believe that it was once the land of milk and honey, you know, like there was so much greenery vegetation, the land was fertile and all, but now it's barren. So it's arid and it's dry. It's, it's it's hard to believe and this was um f for those people you know this enemy after enemy it was the day of the lord but it does not satisfy the prophecies as Zephaniah makes it clear that the day of the lord is that day that's in the future and will be consummated when christ comes to establish his kingdom here on earth that's the day of the lord 
so um so with um so here like verse 7 goes on to read um for the lord has prepared a, a sacrifice he has invited his guests so it's like it's with biting sarcasm that he says this and you know the guests are going to be the sacrifice and that's what happened the judgment came and it's the judgment upon the nation verse 8 of zephaniah 1 goes on to read and it shall be in the day of the lord's sacrifice that i will punish the princes and the king's children and all such are and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel so the rulers had turned away from god and you know we can make reference to this in um i think from the book of uh, isaiah you know when zedekiah was you know zedekiah had reigned and he was the last one he was the last of the kings and he saw his own children killed before him uh, and his eyes um, were actually put out so it was a harsh judgment but um, they um, they had actually uh, received the warning got from God he had God had warned them and he had warned them that there was impending judgment if they didn't change that they didn't change and this um, to them was like the day of the Lord. Verse 9 goes on to read, In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their masters' homes or houses with violence and deceit. So here, you know, to leap on the threshold. So this is when uh, they would actually take over the land and homes of the poor. And this is what is actually happening if we look in our modern day today. This is happening. So back then there was an extreme. You know, there was extremely rich and the extremely poor. There was no middle class. It was just like all vanished. And this is what we have today. You know, like the gap is getting bigger between the poor and the rich. Verse 10 goes on to read. And there shall be on the day says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter and a loud crushing from the hills. So here, um, that day, you know, as it says here, and they shall be on that day. That day is the day of the Lord. And the fish gates here that are being talked about is the Damascus gate. So it's the gate that brought the fish down from the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And it's on the north side. So the, the, Damascus, the Damascus gate today is in a low place all the way. Um, so they will be uh, wailing from Damascus gate back up to the hills. So for those people who've been to Jerusalem, I haven't been to Jerusalem. Hmm. So I'll take Dr. G.G. McGee's word for it. So Jerusalem is surrounded by hills and um, in any direction one actually goes, there will be a wailing of the people when the time of judgment comes. So any direction you go, because there are so many there are hills, you go in north, west, east, south, they, are, they will be a wailing when judgment comes upon them. Verse 11 goes on to read well you inhabitants of maktesh so here maktesh is also a motor 
and it was supposed to be a uh, depression in yeah uh sorry yeah a depression in Jerusalem where the marketplace was situated so it was the you know the cheese you know like that's Dr. Jaden McGee's opinion again it was like um the cheese maker's valley so they went beside the temple and it's where the wailing wall is today verse 12 goes on to read and it shall come to pass at that time that i will search jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency who say to who say in their hearts um the lord will not do good nor will he do evil so here um you know there was an affluent society there um at that time so they never actually believed that they would be judged any more than people believed that they will be judged today so what they are saying here is god's not doing anything he's not doing nothing nor will he do anything about it so um you know here we find this was habakkuk's big question why why don't you do something about it and god told him um you know when habakkuk was given a vision of what god was actually doing and habakkuk cried out to the lord god for mercy for the people not only for his people but for the for their enemies as well the chaldeans and today people actually think god is dead you know um i i remember watching a movie that stated god's not dead you know there's a philosophy today you know people just think oh he's quiet he's not saying anything like god's dead god's not there so the affluent tends to think that they don't need god because i mean they can do it on their own they have the money and the means so they tend to think they don't need god and that's their mistake everyone needs god we all do need god and god's moving we may not see it right now but god's moving among the nations you know history has shown us that god moves among the nations and god judges he just does not judgment is a strange thing for god he just does not want to see anybody perish so he gives us time and he's a very patient god he's long suffering okay so this is our teaching from today i hope you all enjoyed it as much as i did thank you all for listening god bless you all have a pleasant day and bye bye Thank you.